Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Catherine Bishop, president of OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. And we are really excited this weekend. As you all know, it's Labor Day. Uh, is this the day? Is this the time that we just stop wearing white? That's yes. That's, that's it. And, right? and there's probably okay. a handful of other things. But really, besides just getting and the money, pools closed. And the pools closed. Yeah. yeah. And it's technically summer's over. So maybe that means we're mm. getting cooler temperatures. I'm fingers crossed. Yeah. But um, we are excited because we are joined today by the Oklahoma Labor Commissioner, Leslie Osborne. Welcome, Commissioner. Yes. Thanks for having me. Um, so Fine. we were kind of talking before you got here. And we were so excited to have you. And then all of us were like, actually, what does the Labor Commission do? Well, if it makes you feel any better, I had to ask the same thing when I came to the legislature. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I had a, I was in the private sector. I had a business degree from Oklahoma State and sold- Oh, go Pokes. Exactly. But you know, uh, you have to be careful who you say that to. <laughs> uh, we do have two greats, two great uh, universities. Uh, so- um, I got a degree in business and did an ag sales business for 22 years. I sold heavy-duty truck parts, distributor for the state for ranch and grill guards. But when I was 45, I was recruited by Senator Ron Justice to run for an open House of Representatives seat. And I always love to tell the story that I, he asked me, and we were serving on a committee together at the Farm Service Agency. And I said, well, Ron, you know, I'm not political. I've never given a speech. I'm, you know, and he says, oh, thank goodness. He said, we have too many 21-year-olds in skinny suits telling us with poli-sci degrees, <laughs> telling us how to run Oklahoma. And he said, it's not working. And uh, I just loved Senator Justice, and y'all probably worked with him on things when he was in. So I served 10 years in the legislature and could have served two more, but a spot came open, labor commissioner, and the current labor commissioner at that time, Melissa Houston, had decided not to run again, but I had run multiple bills for her and the prior uh, commissioner, Mark Costello. So I gotten to know their purview. And so good segue, what do we do at the Department of Labor? Uh, we are basic, basically a safety wage and... Uh, labor agency, a lot of regulatory things, small, about 75 employees. Uh, we're kind of catty corner to your building. We're close over here. But we make sure that people have safe workplaces to go to. Uh, we do a lot of programs where we will go out and even help draw small businesses a safety plan, embed an employee with them and make sure that they do everything properly. It's free. It's a free service wow. in Oklahoma. And it really helps. We have one of the lowest rates in the nation of people being injured on the job. We also make sure that everybody that works for an Oklahoma employer receives their wages. If yeah. they don't, uh, you would have to go lawyer up and go to district court. We do those cases for free. Anybody in the state not paid by an Oklahoma business can come to us, and we have administrative law judges that come in monthly, and we litigate those classes, uh, those uh, cases as expeditiously as we can to get people their wages. We also do a lot for safety. We check every elevator and escalator in the state, public access, every amusement park ride, every compressed natural gas vehicle conversion, uh, commercial asbestos abatement projects. Because of schools, we uh, inspect high-pressure uh, water heaters and boilers because Ooh, there was yeah. an explosion years ago at Star Spencer and some mm -hmm. people died. And it's one of those things where then you say, well, who was supposed to be checking those? And your mm -hmm. government can just get big and unwieldy. 
So we do a lot of those kind of things. But something we've done the last couple of years, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, is gotten a little more into critical job shortages mm -hmm. and into occupational licensure. So when we came in, uh, the the uh, Labor Commissioner chairs the Occupational Licensure Commission. There were over 500 jobs in the state that required a license. We have whittled that down to a little over 200. So we've taken that to half because we want to make sure we're not doing things to keep people out of labor markets. And we've even done things for second chances for um, a lot of our licenses. Almost all of them had precluded people with a former felony conviction yeah. from working. That yeah. could even be a cosmetologist mm -hmm. or a plumber. So uh, we got legislation passed in the last couple of years that said that, you know, as long as the uh, the former felony was not in the field that you're working in or was not violent or heinous in nature, sexual uh, we couldn't preclude people. And as I say all the time, you know, if I go to a hairdresser that had a DUI in college 14 years ago, I'm fine with her doing my hair. But she might not need to work in a bar. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So you have to be reasonable. We yeah. license alarm and locksmith. If you have a prior felony history of breaking and entering, yeah, you don't need to do problem. that. <laughs> but, but we have a lot of other jobs that require licenses, electricians, plumbers, that wouldn't have that problem. Yeah. So it, it really has helped, I think. And so one of the things I talk about a lot is the undervalued valuing of educators. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard you say that so many times. And I remember uh, this last, ooh, what was it? February, January, February, you came and spoke at the Capitol. We had a, a red for red day at the mm -hmm. Capitol. And, and I think so many times it's kind of, I feel like it's been my mantra this year is that education is a workforce. We Absolutely. are a workforce, one of the largest workforces in our state. For so many of our rural communities, we're the largest employer in that community and that we need to be valued as a workforce. Absolutely. And I don't think we are. So I think uh, what you're referencing, I had done some data digging before that, and I am a data nerd, so I love to dig and figure out how did we get here. And from coming from a family where both of my grandmothers and my mother were teachers, I don't believe there is a more honorable or important profession in the United States because you are shaping and molding our babies, yeah. our next generation yeah. of leaders, the people that we love the most we put in the hands of educators. And uh, so we did some study of how was this degree, a bachelor's degree, so different in what you could make financially because people want to talk about well, oh, let's stop talking about teacher pay. It's not that. Guys, people work for a living to pay their bills. Mm -hmm. right. Most of us don't work for philanthropy. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. work because you have to pay the bills. And when you have, I believe it's a 32% pay gap in Oklahoma yes, with other commensurate bachelor degrees, and then you wonder why there's a problem getting workforce. I personally know three families in the last two years that had a child that wanted to major in education. All of them at separate times told me because of what I do, you know, I talked my daughter out of that because she had always been poor. So the people with the biggest heart for it, which mm -hmm. are the ones we should want the most, are being dissuaded by their parents who are well-meaning. And I understand yeah. we want our children to be comfortable. So we have to reset the thinking. Mm -hmm. So what we did with our data dive was how did we ever get to where um, – wonderful profession like this was so undervalued financially. And it was really interesting. So uh, obviously, when the United States was formed, it was predominantly on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. But as people moved slowly across Western United States, it was primarily in the first decades 
agriculturalist. Mm -hmm. And the school marm or the one-room schoolhouse teacher was traditionally the farmer or rancher's wife. Mm. And remember, this is a patriarchal society, kind of a Bible Belt area as it's going across. Mm. They didn't need to make that much money because they were the housewife. Right. And he was the breadwinner. Mm -hmm. So it was an honorable thing. So for instance, my own grandmother was married to a rancher in the Panhandle of Texas, went to Oklahoma A&M, got her two-year teaching certificate, and opened a school one-room schoolhouse in Duke, Oklahoma, where she I could know commute. Where Duke is at. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I feel like I've got real roots yeah. in this. And it was the exact thing we're talking about. There was no one to do it. Yeah. He was the primary bedwinner, but she was intelligent and had a library card and wanted to further her education. Uh, also, why I went to OSU, fourth generation <laughs> were my kids. Uh, but all that being said, it makes sense when you think of that. So as we're filling all of these one-room schoolhouses with the agriculturalist wife, they don't need to make that much, just enough for it to be reasonable. Now, fast forward over 100 years. We've never caught up. Yeah. And I get it. It's harder yeah. to pay people in the public sector than the private because you're looking at taxpayer dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. But if we went over to the Department of Transportation and looked at their engineers mm -hmm. or even State Department of Education and looked at their accountants, I promise they are closer to market value of a private right. sector job. Educators have not caught up because there's so many of them. Right. So it's going to take a mindset change of legislators across our state and other states to realize that pay gap is huge. Second thing is the castigating of public education. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely heavy on my heart all yeah. the time. Every teacher I know is working overtime, paying for supplies for her classroom, taking work home, loves what she does and is scared to death they're going to do something wrong with House Bill 1775, yeah. and then they turn on national news and this ridiculous mantra of grooming and pedophilia and pornography yeah. is all a ploy by the far, far right to shut down public education mm -hmm. in this nation, have it funded less so taxes are less, and everybody can figure out how to get their kids to a private school. Yeah. It's not working. It's fabricated. It's not real. The average teacher in this state, the predominant huge percentage are hardworking, wonderful people that want to change the world with your children and grandchildren, change the world not to manipulate their minds to give them every opportunity. Absolutely. And when you talk about teacher shortages, you know, it also corresponds with labor shortages for other industries in our state. Absolutely. Yeah. Because quality teachers, every one of us had one that yeah. made a difference in our lives and hopefully more than one. Mm -hmm. But those are the things that spark a child's interest, particularly when we hit, we live in a low education, high poverty state where the parents may be so inundated with just trying to keep their head above water, they don't have time to give the tutelage of where the kid might yep. go. And that's why I'm really excited. And you've probably heard about our our uh, pilot project with Sean McDaniel in Oklahoma City Schools to reinstitute shop class. Yes. And really yes. excited. That's really yes. excited. So excited about that. It's a critical job shortage. He loves it because this is probably a lot of the areas that these schools will be in this new bomb project are um, lower wage mm -hmm. areas. A lot of these kids may not even have a father at home or have somebody that's guiding them into a family business. They don't know the opportunities are there because we phased out shop class when yeah. we decided every kid needed to go to college. Not a wise idea. Mm -hmm. 
But if we can find those kids with aptitude and start feeding them into career tech and apprenticeships their junior, senior year, these kids can be licensed electricians, plumbers by the time they're 18, 19, 20, making 50, 60,000 a year, no student debt. That helps the economy. Mm -hmm. That helps the labor force. And gosh, it helps the kids. Absolutely. Oh, you're just, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I I'm just preaching to the choir here. <laughs> um, I think back, because I'm old, and... Um, when I was in high school in 1980. Well, feel better. I graduated in 81. Uh, okay. <laughs> so you don't get to say you're I'm, old because then I'm just insulted. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more mature. And and I think about our high school because I graduated from Putnam City West High School. We had right there on campus, nobody had to go anywhere. We had shop class. Mm -hmm. We had uh, automotive class. And I know that in, in Oklahoma has a fabulous career tech system amazing career tech. And thank you for putting into that space that our students' future may be college, but it may be career. And we need to make sure that they are ready to enter whichever one they choose. Absolutely. And they're and both valuable. Like you said, we have one of the best career tech systems in the nation, primarily because it's statehood. The uh, founding fathers of Oklahoma gave a percentage of ad valorem taxation to career techs. So they don't have to stand with their hands out at the Capitol with the appropriators every yeah. year as much. They are better funded because of that structural change. And we need to take advantage of that. And, you know, it was an honorable thing. And same way, deep dive back, why did we do this? All kids need to go to college. It was the H.W. Bush administration and the presidency. And it was that move that, you know, the world is going ahead of us and we need every kid to go to college. The short-sighted part of that is there are integral, lucrative jobs needed in our labor sector that don't take a degree. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it doesn't preclude you from getting a business degree or being right. entrepreneurial. I often use Congressman Mark Wayne Mullins as an example. Uh, he put in 1.5 million of his own money into his uh, Senate race. He's a plumber, mm -hmm. uh -huh. a family plumbing business. It can yeah. be very lucrative. Yeah. And uh, a lot of kids never got that ability to see that as a possibility without shop class. Right. A great shop class teacher that's teaching it a weld, and then you figure out what pipe fitting is or what a plumber does. Plumbers don't just use plungers. It's intricate infrastructure and commercial building projects. Yeah. And a lot of times when you are doing these apprenticeships that they could potentially start their senior year in uh, high school, you're getting paid journeyman's wages, going to night class like three or four nights a week. The apprenticeship is free. You get out licensed starting 50, 60, 70,000 a year. It's a yeah. fabulous opportunity. Yeah. The jobs are there. We've had a disconnect between what jobs were needed and getting kids into them. And that's what yeah. the barrier we have to break down. Yeah. And that's where we're really hoping at Labor to collaborate more with education and right. get the resources to high school counselors who are inundated with a million other things they have to do because yeah. there's not enough time in the day for a counselor. IEPs, we get right. it, uh, state testing. They don't have time to be career counselors. We've got to get them easy, quickly digestible stats on how they should be feeding kids into certain areas where there's going to be those needs. So one of the, I know you all do work with high school students, you know, because a lot of our high school students are working. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your programming at the high school level? Yes. Yeah. So now what we do there is that every state department of labor is required to educate about federal labor, child labor laws in their state. So we have one employee embedded at our agency that basically goes out 24-7 to schools, to DECA, 
to FFA events, to different things, and, and makes connections with teachers and then comes into schools across the state telling, because it's different if you're under 18 and you're employed. Difference on break time, oh. difference on the amount of hours you can work during the school year. There's some uh, variances for homeschooling, you know, and different things like that. We are not an enforcement agency. We don't give fines and those kind of things, but we educate. Mm -hmm. And then we do get calls occasionally where somebody says, you know, I go through this McDonald's drive-thru and go to every day. And, you know, the kid can't be more than 11. Well, you know, I say that too, because I'm an old lady. As I said, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's really 18. But anyway, but we, but we will go out and check and make sure. And occasionally yeah. there is something where somebody's being, you know, worked like that. And there's a reason that we have those kind of laws. You know, mm -hmm. in the old days, you know, four-year-olds worked in tiny munitions plants because of their tiny little fingers, you know, and stuff. And I mean, it's like that wasn't really the best way to do it. So it's a really great thing. And it helps uh, kids know, you know, their, their, their employer at the Sonic in Woodward may not know that there's a difference, but if he's heard it in class, he can pull it up on the internet. You know, kids are savvy yeah. and say, Hey, well, we heard from this guy and who said that we should be getting an extra break if it's school time and whatever. So a lot of that education is very helpful. And we, we coordinate with the state department of education mm -hmm. on that. That's super, yeah. This has been fascinating, Commissioner. Um, what what has been different moving from the legislature to a head of a department? So I always say it's um, it's a two sided coin. I loved my years in the legislature. I was lucky enough to get to chair the Judiciary Committee and the Appropriations Committee, which were stressful and and uh, but really gratifying when you got good things done. And um, so you find kind of felt in the legislature like you could put on your cape and save the world, right? Envision the gift with like Linda Carter, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. hitting her cuffs, right? Yeah. And but then you go over to the state agency, you don't set the policy anymore. You basically are doing your as executive branch agency what, but gratifying on the other end of a lot of times legislators pass bills into law and then they never really see what happens. Mm -hmm. We can actually take those things like that licensing commission that was new and really make it work and do good things that helped with military reciprocity and spouses coming in. Like, so, so we even did that. Uh, somebody comes into work at Tinker, his wife is a sociologist. It might take her in old days a year to get licensed here. We've made it where it could be within three weeks. We're right. quickly getting people to work in our needed jobs. And mm -hmm. those kind of things are really neat. So it, and you get to work on these kind of initiatives mm -hmm. where you can brainstorm with the Sean McDaniels or whoever that is, or with you all or whoever yeah. it is about how can we change the world? What, mm -hmm. what can we do for labor? Because it does kind of make the world go around. Mm -hmm. So how is Oklahoma's workforce? Uh, it's tough right now. We have some really big shortages, a uh, huge shortage in service. That's okay. primarily because of the medical marijuana industry mm -hmm. is it was plopped in and legalized in 19 in 18, coming up in 19, so we're in the COVID years, you're not really noticing now 48,000 people working in the medical marijuana industry and 98% of them were already here. Only 2% wow. are projected to have come in from other states, you know, maybe entrepreneurial to buy something or they were a horticulturalist, a chemist, somebody. Uh, so where did those 98% come from? They were doing our minimum wage jobs in all 77 counties wow. because grow houses, dispensaries, and... Um, processors start at 12 to 15. So mm -hmm. they basically sucked out everybody in the service sector. Now, that's not illegal or something wrong with it, but it does make us realize that we didn't have enough people that were willing to work for 725. And mm -hmm. it's the longest we've gone in U.S. history without raising the minimum wage. Mm -hmm. So that's affecting huge in service. And then in the um, 
other degrees, it would be things like labor would be trades, educators, mm -hmm. medical, or engineers, obviously. And that's what, and so obviously teachers is a big one in there mm -hmm. of a shortage. We've got to figure out how to get more people in the pipeline. Okay. And a lot of that comes with respecting educators and paying them better. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you see as kind of future goals for this? So future agency? goals is to keep replicating what we're going to do at Oklahoma City. So if we see some success with that, we would like to work and duplicate that across and then do it for other things. Is there something we can do for education? Is there something we can do? You know, we see tons of STEM and STEAM. Mm -hmm. That has really helped the pipeline for our aerospace industry, which is the second right. uh, mm -hmm. biggest industry in, you know, in Oklahoma now. And so that's really helped with the pipeline of engineers. But we still need to do it for educators, medical care, and other things. In states that have more dollars, uh, we're a low-tax state, 48th mm -hmm. in the nation in overall tax collections. In other states, they can give stipends and, and fiscal incentives to get people into that. We can't do that. We're broke. Mm -hmm. We're always broke because mm -hmm. we're 48th. Everybody mm -hmm. here wants to never pay taxes, but they still don't want potholes. Right. And they still want a certified teacher in the classroom, and they still want a mental health care facility for their cousin. But they're not willing to pay for it. And that disconnect is what is making mm -hmm. us traditionally stay more of a bottom five state. Mm -hmm. Now, am I saying we need to tax everything out the wazoo? Of course not. But to go a bit above 48th might be reasonable because you do get what you pay for. Right. Well, oh. I have so many things to think about over my Labor Day weekend. I know. And I, well, I, I'm it's so, an appropriate time to do it over it Labor Day weekend. It is. And I, I thank you for like, obviously, it's intuitive to say that education and labor are connected. Mm -hmm. But walking through, you know, how how intertwined that work is and how by having a strong education force and a strong labor entity that's providing opportunities to keep our kids in this state, you right. know, like we I have two kids and I want them to flourish. And but I also want them to be ready whenever they leave for college or whatever they choose to do to have opportunities right. still here. So. But if we do want to keep our kids and grandkids in this state, it yeah. will not help them without investment. Absolutely. It will not. If we are always a bottom of the barrel state, they're going to find opportunities other places and you'll be on a jet plane to visit your grandkids. <laughs> now, for the people listening, that means elect legislators that realize that sometimes you have to invest in the trajectories that change your future and education is one of those. Yeah. And that future has to start right now. Today. Yes, absolutely. Can't wait. Yes. Can't Thank wait. you so much for joining us. Thanks for us. having me. I hope we get to keep working together on lots of collaborative projects. Well, let's take some time and catch up with Catherine. Uh, wow, Ellen, what a fascinating conversation with Commissioner Osborne of the you know, labor Department of Labor. It's, you know, we're going into Labor Day and just we we've lost the essence of what Labor Day was set up for. You know, now it's it's picnics, going to the lake, don't wear white after this day, um, all those traditional things we have, but just looking at how Labor Day started and um actually Labor Day was created and started before the Department of Labor. Really? Yeah, I was I was doing some research and I was thinking, but it had to do with labor, labor rights, labor unions, mm -hmm. and make and, and knowing that those unions were created to for protection, mm -hmm. protection, safe working environments. Yep. Wages 
that we're going to be able to provide for families. Um, the, the child labor laws, mm-hmm. you know, to, to know that back then our laborers were working, I, I forgot how many hours a day. I, I thought I saw 12 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm. And that, you know, this is where weekends came from. And so we, we, I, I just want our listeners to just be reflecting on that, the purpose of Labor Day. And it's, and it's because of our, our labor force and our labor unions that have created this and uh, thank them for you have a weekend. Yes. Well, I, so I worked for um, one, my congressman back in the day. And um, when he was on the campaign trail, Labor Day was always fish fries. For oh. labor unions in Texas, I don't know oh. why, but um, but I but I think the focus was really to your point on workers, you know, yeah. and the conversations yeah. were like, what do we want in order to have a strong workforce and keep our strong workforce in this industry, and how do we stand up for yeah. that? And I so anyway, that was always my yeah. Experience. I was going down a rabbit hole of history, looking into Catherineville. And um, so I was looking at Oklahoma history about this. And before, when we were Indian Territory, it was railroads, mining, and labor and unions were involved in that. And so um, mining, coal mining down by Krebs mm-hmm. um, in that area. And then, then later on, and we're talking early 1900s, farmers, hmm. farmers unions. Wow. Which just made me so proud because I think of my my grandparents and I know my grandfather was on a lot of different agricultural boards and and he was very involved with that. But that was that was a union. That was and but that that's the whole aspect of a union is the collective voice coming together to support those in that field. Absolutely. Yeah, so it's great. And ooh, I don't I, I hate to be counting days, but we're sixty seven days away for the general election. And it is time, Oklahoma, that uh, we get out and make our voices heard. And we have lots of opportunities for our members coming up to be engaged. We want to engage our members. We want to engage our members to engage Oklahomans to get out the vote, be registered, and then go vote. Mm -hmm. It is the most important thing as a citizen that you can do. Yep. And I, you know, the opportunities can be as little as talking to your neighbor. Yeah. As big as signing up to knock doors or to call, you know, I I think there are so many ways to get involved. um, And sometimes that makes people nervous. Like I've never done that before, but OBA has an awesome opportunity to train and support individuals who feel like by not doing one more thing, they're sitting out. And I think we're trying to give everyone an opportunity, you know, a path to do a little bit more. Last week when we had Andy Moore on the show and the four, three, two, one, the four million, three million, two million, one million. I have said those numbers so many times. I apologize if I wrung people's ears for the last week, but it, I have anybody that will listen to me. I keep repeating those numbers to know that we have 4 million citizens, 3 million that are eligible to vote, 2 million that are registered to vote, but only 1 million that vote. Which means we all know somebody yes. who is registered and yes. doesn't vote or hasn't 
is it registered? <laughs> and it's mind-blowing. But, yeah. you know, I think yeah. that's such an easy conversation yeah. to start with people. Yeah. It's not political. Yeah. It's being a part of the process. And, and to make sure that, um, like we talk about all the time, education is on the ballot every election and that we're electing pro-public education candidates and getting out and working for them. And, and But more important as a citizen, find out who the candidates are. Ask them, what do they stand for? What what do you want to see different in our state? What are you going to do? Absolutely. Well, we are so thankful that Leslie, um, Labor Commissioner Leslie Osborne joined us today. And want to thank you for listening to Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Ellen Pogamiller with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Captain Bishop, president of OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. You can also contact us at podcast at gmail.com. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education. <laughs>